there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people about creative things. And this week, we are doing our annual movie wrap-up for the past year, for the movies of 2023. Uh, it's a two-parter, and I'm joined by Glenn Gaylord, who is the senior film critic for the Queer Review website, and also Drew Drogi, actor, writer, extraordinaire. We all love getting into movie talk and... We do it so much that we're doing two parts. Um, before we get into part one of that, I want to remind you that this podcast, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by Bitter Honey. Bitter Honey for that taste. No, it's not. I don't have any podcast uh, sponsors. I don't. I just do it because I love it. Um, but if you want to support it, um, help me cover my expenses, that would be awesome. And there are two ways that you can do that. You can go to DennisAnyone.net and you can... Click donate and donate to my virtual tip jar. Or you could become a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm part of a group of fun shows under the Derek and Romaine banner. And for a monthly subscription fee, you get my show early. And you get all these other great fun shows. So you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. All right, enough for the plugs. Here now is part one of our year-end movie wrap-up for 2023 with Glenn Gaylord and Drew Drogi. Joining me now for our year-end movie wrap-up for 2023, it's Glenn Gaylord. He is senior film critic for The Queer Review. And Drew Drogi, actor, writer, extraordinaire, fresh off a triumphant turn in Titanic in New York City. But you're back. Welcome back. I'm back. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be and here. I love doing this every year. It's so much fun. We look forward to it. And Glenn, you're glad nominated. The Queer Review, your, your website that you write and review films for is nominated... For a Glad Award, so congratulations. Yeah, very exciting. I mean, James Kleinman, the editor, gets all the credit. You know, yeah. he's phenomenal, and uh, I'm so proud of him and so happy to be a part of that. I love it. Huge I congrats to you and James. Y'all do really great, really great work. It's awesome. I think we can all agree that awards don't matter and things like that until yeah. you get nominated. And then, where's my tux? I'm in. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm already fighting for a ticket. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so well, every year we care about the Oscar nominations or the or the SAG awards or whatever. We get so wrapped up in it, and then we immediately forget who wins. Yeah, it never goes the way we want. I, I think we have this this. I think our little gay brains are just like we want it. You know, like it's it's the it, there's something controlling. It's our we always say it's a gay Super Bowl, but. I'll never be happier than when the, when I was a kid and Silence of the Lambs won all those awards. Like that, that will never be topped, I don't think, ever. Because I, I never thought that could happen, and I felt so seen in that moment. And every other year since then, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, one thing won that I think is great. I remember wow. when Parasite won, and I was Insane. like... yes, absolutely. I, I, I just, because I thought it was so cool and so good yes, and so worthy and different. And, like, I had that a little bit, but... Uh, but yeah, it's so, it's so rare that it, it you know, I, I agree with the winner. Right. You know, I feel this year I'm going to feel the same because I think I know what's running up to the inevitable win. But I, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think both of your examples really ping my bells. Yeah. Thank you. We're, we're, we're in the business of bell pinging. So, Drew, you were in New York for much of award season. What was the screening situation like? When were you going to the movies? How did you manage that with your show schedule? I made sure I saw as many movies as I could because well we I, we had our days free. We, our matinees were on Saturdays and Sundays, so right. I had a lot of daytime free to go to the movies. And there were screenings there. Uh, I went to the Park Avenue screening room a lot. The um, uh, Soho House had a lot of screenings. Ooh, fancy! So I was, 
Yeah. So I was able to go and I'm not a member. So they're just like, Hey, just come join us here and there. And, and, um, I'm a member of Film Independent. So when those nominations came out, I tried to watch a movie a day, like, cause I'd have like, I would just sit in bed and it was kind of perfect to just put a movie on. I, most of them were streaming or I would go and find them at a, a theater somewhere. So I did still see a lot. Well, we're glad about that because we love hearing your opinion. And Glenn has always been talking about, like, what are we going to disagree on with Drew? So mm. um, that's always exciting. A little bit of suspense. Hopefully there's a good nugget here. Uh, I've lost sleep over this, by the way, or at <laughs> least I can't be responsible for standing in front of my refrigerator at 3 in the morning drooling. Drew has warned me in advance that there's something I love that he hated. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm on pins and needles. Well, oh, no. we've all seen the stuff on on social media about the Oscar nominations and the Greta Gerwig and the Barbie. And what it says to me is there was a lot of good movies this year. Like I like almost all of those movies that you see on the list. Like this was a good year. I think it was a really good year for movies. I thought it was a great year for movies. And um, I, I, for me, a lot of my favorite movies weren't on the list, but there were a few on the list that, that got nominations that I thought were fantastic. Also, I just think it's, there have been countless articles written. People just need to do their own. They need to educate themselves about the Academy, like in a way that like, they think it's this group of like evil, you know, evil men that sit together and, and make decisions and say, we're naming five and then nothing else is matter. Like, I just think the idea of a snub is really ridiculous because a lot of great things get sixth place. Yeah. And a lot of not great things get first place. It's just how it's, it's subjective. So, um, I don't think I don't, I, I'm actually kind of laughing at how upset people are. People are worked up. Because it, every year it's this situation. And, I, and I'm sorry, but I, I, I don't think those two people that we're upset about either one deserve that. And we could get into that movie later, but yeah. I just didn't. I, I, and so I wouldn't have voted for them either. So there you um, go. And also other women were nominated. It's yeah. almost like, like they hate women. It's like, well, they're – wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just many, you know. Yeah. So, no, yeah. I thought it was a great year as well. In fact, in my article that I write in the Queer Review, which is Moments Out of Time, uh, I went further than I than thinking it was a great year. I actually thought that there were a big group of films that I thought changed the way films were made. And so they were groundbreaking. And some of those, are, I think, are just masterpieces of film. And, uh, and, and, and we'll get into that a little later. But, yeah, I thought this year really stood out for that. Yeah, especially coming out of the pandemic when it looked like yes. people weren't into the movies and it was dying and all of that stuff. To have such a banner year is really cool. So let's get into it. Um, also queer movies. I mean, just mentioned yeah. like, this is an amazing year for gay films. You know and what? Also gay, gay actors playing gay characters who are complicated, real human beings who I, I think that's we've never done better. And I think we can only we can get better. But I think it was a really landmark year for that, too. And you know what's really fun about that in a kind of shallow way is the red carpet. Coleman Domingo on the red carpet. Oh, my God. He can, he can go there because it's like, well, he, he, know, he doesn't ever say to so his stylist, if I wear this, people will think I'm gay. Like, no, <laughs> you are gay, so wear it. And he's wearing it. And I, Matt Bomer, uh, Jonathan. Absolutely. Jonathan. The guy Bailey. The, Jonathan Bailey. Like, they're, they're, like, these guys on the red carpet, they're, they're pulling Chalamets and getting away with it. And Absolutely. It's and, really fun. And, yeah, it's awesome. All right, Glenn, start us off. Um, pick a movie from your list and let's get into this. Okay. I, I, I'm so scared because I don't know which one Drew hates. No, so, no, please. That's what makes this fun. We agreed a lot last year. I remember we were very much in agreement last year. Well, I mean, my number one film, I'm going to start with that because I think it's groundbreaking. I think it's a masterpiece. I've seen it five times. I can't get enough of it. 
And yet it's such a hard watch is the zone of interest. Yeah, that's not doesn't I seem lo- like a repeat I, I viewing. Talking, but I, I loved it, and it's on my left too. So. Yeah, Thank God, that was the yeah. one that kept me up at night, Drew. Um, yeah, so, please, no, I love it. So Jonathan Glazer, he's only made five films over the last twenty some years. You know, starting with Sexy Beast, and then he did Birth and uh, uh, Under the Skin, The Zone of Interest, and I'm forgetting one. And actually, it's those four. That's all he's done. Okay, um, and uh, he. Um, to me, has changed the way you look at films uh, in with each of his films, but this one in particular, which takes a kind of a tried-and-true genre, the Holocaust narrative, and gives you pretty loosely based on Martin Amos's novel, which is a little more you know, character-driven, uh, but he takes this dispassionate look at evil from this most mundane of uh, delivery systems and... To me, it was bone chilling. The sound and the score combined with uh, just made for a film that you had to pay attention to what you were looking at and what you were hearing constantly. And the way that a setup would change angles, giving you different information than what you had before. Uh, And it also features to me one of the best transitions in a film that I have seen since 2001 uh, when they apes throw the bone up into the air and it transitions into the spaceship. Uh, in this one, without giving too much away, late in the film, um, our lead male characters, based on a true person, uh, Commandant of Auschwitz, looks down a hallway and he sees something that we experience. And it's, it's just a big transition in the film. And then we transition back to that Commandant, still looking down the hall. And then he descends into what I call a hell of his own making. And I just thought it was such a powerful way to uh, present information that on the surface looks really boring. I absolutely fully agree with all of this. I, I don't know how you watched it five times. I, I admire it because I, I walked out of there after seeing it once and I said, I don't think I can ever see this again, but I'm so glad I did. And when people talk about important movies, I, I, you know, I, I kind of normally hate that feeling of like it's homework and eat your vegetables, but this feels it's essential because it's about like, like when I'm saying the, 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 the banality the, the, of evil, like what, how evil is allowed to exist is people just continuing to live their lives. You see nothing that happens uh, within the walls of the concentration camp of Auschwitz. You only hear it. It's a masterpiece in sound design. But what these people just accept that they're hearing, you can only draw, you can draw, they draw on the lines. I think it's, it does an incredible, there's a fascinating storyline with, with one of the daughters who has seemingly the only conscience in the movie and how she understands what's happening and the way they tell it. I think it's, it's just a very, I mean, it is, I, I walked out of that movie changed. And, um, and just to sort of be like, oh, this is how we allowed this to happen. And it's just in how people go, oh, how we go about the world, the world we're in right now. And there's so much of it that, you know, um, you know, that just lay people just have to just sort of keep going their lives. But when you are a commandant at Auschwitz and it's your family, you know, it's, it was just, I don't know. It, it, I, I, I think it was a, I thought it was an incredible, incredible film. And I love that every movie he's ever made is a wildly different film. Um, similar to another director we can talk about later that I love that you never know what to expect when you see their name on it. 
you know, that you're, you're going to see some very different way of telling a story, but it's fantastic. I saw yeah, this so- at the Vista, which is the newly oh. reopened Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. um, place in Los Feliz. And I'm happy to report the legroom is still great. Um, yes. And I'm so glad I saw it in a theater because the sound design yes. is so incredible. Damn. And it's around you. And also, isn't, isn't the beginning just a bunch of sound for a long time before there's yeah. even an image? And you're wondering, yeah. is this a mistake? I'm sure people put up, pop in the DVD and think, oh, this is uh, not working right or something. Right. Yeah. Um, I just thought, what an audacious vision because, like, there are really good actors in it. I couldn't pick that lead actor out of a lineup. He, he's mm. far away from them. They don't get, like, close-ups like Sandra Holler's in it. But you don't – you're sort of watching it from a kind of remove that really emphasizes the point. And I just thought, like, he's going to do all this stuff. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to really showcase the actors that much. Or I'm, I'm going to do this thing at the beginning with no picture. And then I'm going to do this thing where I kind of flip the film in a different way. And, like, he ha- takes choice after choice after choice that are sort of big swings. And it all adds up to this great experience. Like, just so confident and audacious and unsettling, for sure. Yeah, yes. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, and Drew, you were mentioning the daughter. Are you talking about the infrared photography or the sleepwalking daughter? Oh, I'm talking about uh, both. Am I doing? Did I conflate? Are they not this the same person? No, the the, oh. the the infrared is not in that family. It's uh, somebody that lives in the area. But I made the know. same mistake, Drew. I'm like, who is that oh, girl? Oh my god, I'm such an idiot. I yeah. thought it was the same. No, I had to look it up later. I had to ask Glenn. I was like, okay. wait, who was that person? And I was what like, were they in doing? my head, there's so much they don't explain. But like the mother is coming in, and the drinking, and the baby. There's so much that's just like you just are thrown in, right? But in my mind, I made it that one of the daughters was putting apples through that. I mean, I'm going to give too much away, but was was had a moment of like resistance, right? Yeah. And I, I think that character did have that, but it wasn't a daughter. It was somebody uh, yeah, else. Yeah. But I didn't get that from the movie either. I was confused. But that's one of the okay. things I liked about the movie. They're like, figure it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, in a year of – there were a lot – we had a lot of movies that just didn't trust you at all and force-fed you agenda and a lot of liberal people screaming at you this year. And I loved that this movie didn't do any of that. It was just sort of like, figure it out. It's art, you know? Yeah. I loved it. And I love that it's, you know, made Best Picture and Best Director and, yeah. Uh, all right, Drew, what's a movie you want to talk about? All right, where do I go? Let's see. I'm going to start with, just to sort of mix things up tonally, I loved American Fiction. Um, I thought it was wickedly funny. I thought it was, it, it was something that a lot of people have been trying to do for a really long time. I'm a big fan of just making fun of awkward whiteness and just yeah. white people who just can't figure it out and never will. And they will always be on the outside of, you know, and I, I love that. And I, I'm, I write from that place. And I, I thought what, what he did was so smart. Also it was, um, I thought it was such a, it was such a human, beautiful story that I wasn't expecting. I thought it was just going to be a, just a straight up, you know, really wry comedy. And instead I found myself really moved. Um, I thought Sterling K. Brown gave one of the best performances of the year. I know a lot of gay men are very offended by it, but I always kind of say, we need to deal with our own stuff and sort of unpack that. And I think he was stereotypical for a reason. Number one, those gay men absolutely exist and we all know them. We don't want to believe that, but they exist. Also, 
I love that every character around Jeffrey Wright, except for maybe Erica Alexander, who was also very grounded and real, but it was a lot of big characters and Jeffrey Wright not being that, who gives always a beautiful, masterful, he's so amazing. But because he didn't fit into that, some sort of stereotype, that was his, he was an outsider. Um, and, and then I also think the film had a beautiful way of explaining how black culture still has, has difficulty with gayness and with how he gets to give this beautiful speech. I think his, his performance, I'm so glad he got an Oscar nomination. I think it's on par with Kevin Klein and Melissa McCarthy and Leslie Ann Warren. It was like a brilliant comedic, but grounded performance. Um, and I love that Leslie Uggams got justice. This may be her last film and I hope it's not, but she's a Broadway legend. And I think what's, what's happened to her in the last few years, the only way people really know her name well, after all of her years of, of brilliance is that video with Stacey Keach where she gets, you know, the huck of the bajeepers and she gets oh, Judith Buster. Amazing. It's amazing. But you know, she's, she's become a joke. Yeah. And um, I love that they, she actually plays someone with dementia who is losing her. And I think it gives her so much humanity. I was so moved that they included her. They thought of her. I just thought the whole thing, I thought Issa Rae's reveal was great. I thought it was, I thought it was an incredible film. I, uh, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, not as much as some people, like I, like I, I, I think I might've been overhyped to me or something, but I, uh, I liked it a lot. And I like Sterling K. Brown's body in it. Oh, yeah. he, he is somebody that is more recently out as gay. So you feel like he's going full gay. Like he's going to do well, the Atlantis brochure. Yeah. Yeah. Sterling K. Brown's not gay. No, not in real life, but you feel like that oh, character. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Because oh, he's okay, recently yeah, yeah. out, like, he's going to go full Atlantis brochure. Oh, absolutely. Out, right that's at the, the gate. Thing, the puberty. Well, and that's what happens, as we know, and gay men are like, I am, like, they flame out, you know? They, <laughs> they flame they out. To, it's, yeah. It's I bought puberty. it. I bought he's it. No matter what age it happens, you're going through puberty and you're acting as gay as you possibly can. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's giving a Colton Underwood performance. A Colton Underwood performance? <laughs> <laughs> The, the the bachelor. Oh yes, exactly, exactly. Thank you for. Yeah. It took me a minute too. I was, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I know. Uh, so, Glenn, what did you think of American Fiction? So I, I am so mixed on this film because I love the performances. I agree with Drew on almost everything he said. Um, I just had this tonal whiplash going on, and at the same time appreciated what was happening, and so. You know, there's this very sharp satire, and it really leans into that in the end as well. Uh, yeah. but very sharp satire that I think is hilarious. Uh, great performances um, all around, if you ask me. Um, the melodrama of the film struck me as like this weird marriage between um, this sharp satire and almost a Tyler Perry drama. A elevated one, mind you. But yeah, and it, I was like, wow, this stuff is kind of maudlin to me. And then the more I thought about it, I felt like it was baked into it. But the intention is we're going to show you these people as serious three-dimensional human beings while also satirizing the fuck out of it. And so it, I don't know if it achieved a cohesiveness with that. And I think I need to watch it again. And I will do that for Drew, actually, because I respect your opinion. Um, oh just I'm kind of with Dennis. I guess my expectations were for this big satire, and it was just half of that. I liked it. I didn't love it. And there was a lot of loving, there's a lot of loving people. And I was like, I want to be one of the loving people. Um, but, uh, yeah. I do love when he changes the name of the book to the new title. That yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
it's my turn to bring up a movie, and I'm going to start with one of the first movies I saw last year, Megan, with a three for the E. That was 2023. It feels like we've known Megan forever. But I just went with friends, and I just remember uh, camping it up, loving it. And uh, although, here's my quibble with Megan. All the dancing she does is pretty much in the trailer. So if you want more dancing out of Megan, it's probably on the cutting room floor. That's all. Um, any thoughts? There's an extended cut where you can see a little more dancing. In. Really? That's yeah. good news for me. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's much more violent. The, the deaths are really gruesome. Right on. I support that. Uh, Drew, any thoughts on Megan? Uh, I would just say, I would to what y'all were saying about the last movie, I would say that was a movie I wanted to like so much, and yeah. I just didn't like it at all. Yeah, fair enough. I found it trying way too hard to be funny. I just thought it was it was literally like people in a room going, let's make camp. And <laughs> it was not my humor. I just, the whole time, I was like, and I'm someone, I love Child's Play. Yeah. And I think what, like, with some, I love a good horror movie, but you have to take it seriously, everyone involved, and let us enjoy the ridiculousness of it. But if you're too aware, I, I get like, oh, I see what they're doing there. I saw the strings too much. And I felt, it all felt very memeable. Like, I was like, oh, they're just doing this as a way to, you know, but I love people's love for it. And, you know, I'm all about a horror movie that does well at the box office. So that always makes me happy. But, yeah, it wasn't for me. All right. Fair enough. All right, Glenn, what's your next movie on your list? Um, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk about ones first that I think were groundbreaking. All right. And, and let's argue them. You mean Megan wasn't groundbreaking? No. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, it was... It was we're going to agree to disagree on that. enjoyable and forgettable, you know, I'll, except for her dance. Uh, but you. I want to talk about Bottoms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I actually think this is a groundbreaking comedy. And it's messy and it's horny and it's about lesbian horniness uh, with people who are not exactly angels uh, who instigate a plan that's really insensitive and awful, but, you know, they, they, they form a fight club so that they, they can, you know, have sex with the female cheerleaders in high school, which is just an amazing, you know, premise for a film. And I thought it stayed savage from beginning to end. Uh, I mean, I knew we were in good hands when the, uh, opening uh, announcement uh, at the school, you know, so they're sitting in class and you just hear this high school principal on the intercom say, could the ugly, untalented gays please report to the principal's <laughs> office? And I said, okay, I am so in on this film. Because, uh, you know, that's like, that's Heather's level humor. Yes. And, uh, and yet it presented lesbianism as something completely not stereotypical. I mean, it was just so, the, the breadth the breadth of lesbianism of it was breathtaking in, uh, <laughs> in, in the different, the different types and the different experiences that all come into this incredibly funny, crazy film where, you know, they learn nothing. They, they don't learn anything, you know, this body strewn all over the place. And they're like, Oh, we'll, we'll process that late, that later. And uh, just thought it was a phenomenal comedy. What did you think of bottoms Drew? I loved it. I, I totally, I agree. I thought it was a blast. Um, I love, I mean, I love horrible people, especially high school because you are horrible in high school. And, you know, it did feel, it did remind me, uh, it did remind me a lot of Heather's in the sense of like, yeah, it just spared no, nothing because it's a brutal thing to go through that we all have to go through. And everyone's just like, you know, but, but I also, I agree that like, 
the um the lesbians were were like the jocks and like their whole deal was like we're gonna get the chick like yeah. all the movies that we grew up watching which is like how are we gonna trick these stupid women as these brilliant men how are we gonna do this to get to get them in bed and I love that they were just kind of like we're not really going to change anything about that model, but just make this predatory lesbians, but not in the sense of like, not like turning them as much as like, oh yeah, that's just the world we're in right now. And, and I just love that it was like, it was way more about like, oh no, we're, we're going to fight and we're going to fuck and get on board this crazy roller coaster. I love, I love Emma Seligman. I think I, I love Shiva Baby. I love the kind of movies she's making and putting out there that are just these unsparing, complicated character kind of horrible people. And I think Rachel Sennett is, is our next Parker Posey. I think she really is a star and AO at is always amazing and great. So the two of them together were really fun. And um, yeah, I had a blast. I loved it. So AO comes from improv, right? So has she been on your radar for a long time as an improv I don't person? Know, no, I did not know uh, her. I, I've never met her. I, I yeah. she was living with a friend of mine for a while where she was making, I think for season of the bear. And he's like, Oh my Scroll movie, like, but I didn't know her at all. I just said, I'm just a fan, like everybody else. Yeah. Right on. But, so I don't know if she, I mean, she may have come from improv, but, yeah. um, yeah. I loved how Bottoms created its own world with its own rules and just stuck with it. And like, yeah, the yeah. football players wear their uniforms to school every day. Like they're literally yeah. in shoulder pads in their, in the, in school. Like, yes, that's, doesn't happen ever in real life, but it happens in this movie. And they kept all of those rules that that it created and uh i think it's going to be one of those movies people watch for years you know yeah. that like midnight screenings and things like that so yay for bottoms we're we are bottoms are the tops i don't know i can't bottoms figure out up. how that turn of phrase is but you get the idea drew drogi uh, what's your next movie all right so i will say another movie that i absolutely loved this year was all of us strangers um i am a huge andrew haig fan i this one i was weepy at the trailer and I ugly cried for two hours at this movie and not really, yes, it's a movie about, about, a, about loss, but I really cried from a sense of like feeling very, for lack of a better, I felt seen. I know that feels very, you know, but I really was like, it not just, um, you know, as someone who has lost a father, but also just as a, as a gay person and as a writer, I've tried to explain for years to my mother about, the necessary loneliness about being gay. Like we always say, Oh, being gay is such a lonely life. It's such a lonely life, which always sounds so judgmental and evil. And I'm like, I would absolutely choose to be gay if I, I love being gay, but there's, there is a loneliness to it that we all feel that I think is really important and, and kind of beautiful. Um, and I've never seen that in a film put so, so succinctly. And it was such a movie about, about those feelings and then also the isolation that you, that you have as a writer and as a human being go through the world. So the title of the film is perfect. I think it is four incredible performances. I, Andrew, Andrew Scott gives my favorite performance of the year and as a Claire Foy and just all of them just are. Um, so it's a movie that's, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like devastating in the sense that like it, you think it's going to be, but it's a movie where I felt so, move throughout it and it's it tells you a lot if there's it, it's kind of a reveal it's kind of a surprise ending but it's also one that didn't that didn't really even matter to me it was it was more about the um, the emotional truth that's happening through the film that i thought was just so special and talk about if you're going to be mad about a snub movie got zero oscar nominations and it it deserves in my opinion 
five or six. I thought it was, I thought it was one of the best films of the year. Uh, Glenn, what do you think of all of us strangers? Um, I was so afraid that this was going to be the movie Drew hated. So I'm so relieved. Um, I fully agree with everything Drew said. Uh, and I also put this as one of the groundbreaking films of the year because I think this movie is, and this sounds so cheesy as well, uh, emotional poetry. It's just in the way it's presented, it's not um, traditional. It's, it's, it really guides you through the emotions of Andrew Scott's character rather than just, here's our plot and telling our story. And that I felt him uh, throughout the entire film. I, I, it, it makes you really understand his nakedness, his rawness in this film. Um, and sure, you know, we can talk an Oscar snub, but, you know, I think, you know, the best actor, it's stacked and there's great performances. Oh, absolutely. Um, sure. But I think the real snub is he didn't get a BAFTA nomination. I just don't understand yeah. that. It's like that is clearly one of the best British performances of all time, let alone this year. And so, and and I thought it was obvious the first of the four times I saw this film that wow, it, you've seen it four times. Wow, yeah, just I think it is so beautiful, and I I rarely go back to see anything twice, let alone this many times. Uh, but that movie, especially the scene where Jamie Bell says he wishes that he had done more oh. for him, was crushing, and yet so his performance as well is just fantastic. I've never seen him this good, and so uh, I was. Blown away. I love the soundtrack and just the whole thing, the way it's shot. There's a lot of negative space imagery that just makes you kind of, you just kind of dive into it. I, I, I loved it. I know well, you didn't. No, <laughs> I saw it early in this season. Like it hadn't come out yet. So maybe September, a while ago. And I need to see it again because I was with it as it was going along. And that line in the trailer, I'm sorry I didn't come into your room when you were crying from the father. Like, yeah, let's that put that on a Hallmark card and send it to me every day for the next <laughs> 50 years from the great beyond or whatever. Like, I related so much to that. And I was in it and we were all weepy, all of us and all of that. And then I woke up the next day with a weird hangover from it. Like a, like a, like a... That was bullshit. Like a little bit like <laughs> a little bit like something didn't sit right. And that's why I need to see it again. Cause I don't know what that hangover was about, but it didn't something about the ending or the way, like, I don't know. Like I, I just don't know if the emotion was earned from me or if it was the idea of it all. Um, so I need to give it another watch, but certainly the performances are great. And I like that it's, I like that it's a movie that people are like divided about, you know, cause I, especially gay men, I, I know they, they have a lot of strong opinions about it. So yeah. They do. Yeah, I know. I know they're into it. Um, and Paul Mescal is, you know, great in it. Uh, yeah. So isn't there some Bronski beat in it too? Isn't that one of the there's, songs? Yeah. There's Bronski beat and there's Pet Shop Boys who are yeah. one of my favorite bands of all time. And I love that they're having a resurgence and people yes. are there. Like, they feel like they're everywhere now. And I'm like, all for that. Yes, absolutely. Pet Shop Boys have like, way um, more hits than we thought they were going to have after West End Girls. We really, oh, I know. I know. I, they just keep delivering. And I love them. I could, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Have a Kate Bush moment. Like, late in, I mean, have a, you yes. know, I love it. They're not discovering them. I'm like, yeah, they've always been great, you know? Yeah. All right. Uh, who gets to pick a next movie? Um, I think Glenn. No, it's uh, or, no, you do. It's my turn? Right. Okay. It, this is a movie I just watched recently on Hulu, and I really liked it. Um, Somewhere in Queens with Ray Romano and Laurie Metcalf. Is that on oh. anyone's radar? 
No, I'm I don't even know if it came out in theaters. It did. I mean, I, it did. I, I I knew about it, and I heard it was very good, but I didn't see it either. It's just a it's a human movie about a father who has sort of put all of this stock in his son being a successful basketball player, and that that sort of like clearly living through him, and it's fatherly damage passed down, you know, kind of thing. And Ray Romano is my secret sexy guy. I find I him not. really sexy. Like, I just love him. And he's really good in it, and he co-wrote it. And it's one of those things that you might see it on Hulu and think, what is this? I say give it a try. I really liked it. So, Oh, great. Yeah, Somewhere in Queens. He's, one, he's so good in the big sec, too. He's such an underrated He's good. Actor. Yeah. He's really good. And uh, I liked what the story was about. And there's a, uh, I don't know her name. I should. There's a breakout young actress in it where you're like, oh, this is going to be, she's going places. Um, you remember her name, but I don't <laughs> is the point. But when you see it, you'll know that was the girl that Dennis was talking about. And if I yeah. had uh, sponsors for this podcast, I might take the time to open up IMDb. But since <laughs> I don't, <laughs> we're going to let you uh, discover her. Just as I did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was my next pick, Somewhere in Queens, on Hulu. Yeah. What do you got, Drew? What's the movie you want to talk about? Another one. I only made lists of, obviously, the ones that I that I loved, and I'd love to talk, get into it. Um, I fully loved May, December. Um, I have been a fan of Todd Haynes for years, and but haven't seen something from him in a long time that was so audacious. The magic that he and Julianne Moore make together is unlike anything else. It just feeds my gay heart like nobody's business. I love how he really talk about like when we're talking about like camp as in with Megan and camp is such an impossible thing to define. But he was fully aware of what he was making in line and and, and the way that he did this masterful melodrama that was funny and also rip you apart. I um, it's. As someone who's not a big Natalie Portman fan, um, I think this is the best thing she's ever done. I think it really utilized her talents. And and I think it was a movie that was about exploitation. And I think they were both kind of equally villainous. These Both of these women, like, you know, are exploiting, um, you know, each other themselves. And I think it's about, like, our responsibility as film. I mean, I thought it was very brave as a filmmaker to be like, I'm going to make a movie that's going to really rip apart why we make movies about true stories. Um, because it was very much about, you know, um, a story, Mary Kay Letourneau that we, you know, uh, that we know very well. It's, it's very clearly that, I mean, they, the names are changed, but it's, it's, I think intentionally we're all supposed to immediately get the reference and also, but it was more to me about that extra layer of like, at what point do we need to, leave people alone and not like dig things up and retell things. I also thought there was incredible performances. I mean, Charles Melton gave one of my favorite performances of the year. He's absolutely heartbreaking. I also think Corey Michael Smith is amazing as this broken gay son from another marriage. I just thought there was, I wanted it to be a series. I wanted, I wanted 12 episodes and I wanted to get into (laughs) all of it. Yeah. All of it. The cake baking business, the Southern of it all. Julianne Moore's brilliant lisp that like arrested character she's doing. Natalie Portman is this shitty actress going around the pen and paper, like following every <laughs> move, which is not a, what a good actor would do because an actor's job is to actually be an actor, not just a recreator. You're not doing 
Civil War reenactments and calling that acting. But it's like, I just thought it was funny. I thought it was insanely sexy, uh, very problematic, and unlike anything I've ever seen. I thought it was a, I thought it was a masterpiece. Ooh, Glenn, what did you think of May, December? I agree completely. Strangely <laughs> enough, I didn't expect to. But uh, whenever we get to find one that we, I, I know there's got to be one. I actually know of one, but I can't wait till we get to it. Anyway, okay. but uh, this one, uh, especially after his prior film Dark Waters, which he was kind of a director for hire, Todd Haynes on that one, and while I still liked it, I was so thrilled to see him get back to the sort of dreamscape reality that he does so well in his best films, uh, like Safe, for example. It doesn't oh, feel yeah. like reality; something feels off. And that's uh, what I think is the, the greatness of the, his collaboration with Julianne Moore. She understands how to sell his dialogue, the, you know, the dialogue in his films and get this character that you have to kind of lean in because she kind of whispers a lot. And it's all clearly by design where she's really bringing you in to her kind of bucket of crazy. And, you know, it's so uh, incredible, like the scene where they take her daughter to find dresses and she's so passive aggressive. And she says, I want to commend you for being so brave and showing your oh, God. I know and she said, that's something I always wished I could do when I was your age, just not care about these unrealistic, realistic beauty standards. And I mean, that's my moment out of time for the film, but also Corey Michael Smith, who was so good in uh, Yen Tan's 1985. Oh, yes. Talk. And to see him have two scenes in this film, really, I think it's about two scenes and just completely pop off the screen. I mean, that is an incredible characterization. And you get the entire history just in yes. his, his behavior, just the way he presents his body in the film. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I've seen this twice because the first time I was a little not sure how to watch it, um, but I knew I loved it. Uh, and I really couldn't make heads or tails out of what we were supposed to think by the end. But I realized it's kind of doesn't matter. I mean, you know, is Natalie Portman's character a good actress or not? I don't know, but, you know, the scale goes towards shitty. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just thought it was a fascinating movie about how we all watch each other and how we observe each other and what that means to the individual. I loved it. I saw it twice. And I loved it that Julianne Moore has this thing in this movie that some actors don't have, which is that she doesn't deep down want you to like the character. She's willing to go full ugly. She's sometimes people pull back a little. They want that glimmer of something. And she's willing to like in the darker scenes in this when she's sort of meaner to people and or, or crying to manipulate people. She's she's all the way there. There's a kind of lack of like um a willingness to be like kind of awful that I loved. Um, I love the scene where Natalie Portman goes to talk to the students in the high school and they ask her about sex oh, scenes. Oh, yeah. And actors get asked about sex scenes all the time and they always talk about the crews around or whatever. And she sort of is like, yeah, it's kind of hot or what. Like she was honest and weird and inappropriate and like something I'd never seen before in a character but that felt like the truth. Um and the daughter that's in the class is like, oh, this is weird. Oh, like, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it's it so reminded un me of, like, I, as, as someone who loves marijuana, sometimes when I'm, like, stoned and I'm talking and on a rant tangent and I just have a moment of, like, what are you talking about? And I'm, like, <laughs> it was the moment of, like, you revealed way too much. Yeah. And just quit while you're ahead and stop talking. And, the and I felt like <laughs> the entire moment it was, like, 
Oh my God. Because it was, yeah, it was so wrong and I couldn't put my finger on it, but also we've seen so many acting classes with it. We've seen so we've seen that scene so many times and I thought this was unlike any way I've ever seen it in a way that I was like, Oh, these kids are not okay right now. And yet she's not completely, she's just, she's telling the truth from her experience. Like she's really being honest with them about her experience as an actor. In sex scenes, I just thought it was, yeah. Yet the only time she's honest in the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when she delivers that monologue kind of to camera, like later in the piece, I was like, that's kind of an, an amazing thing. And Charles Melton breaks your heart. He, you really yeah, see the wounded kid. Drew, I'm curious. It didn't do as well in awards nominations as it was predicted to do. And I, I read something that said that actors don't like to see actors portrayed as exploiters or, you know, like that, that the actors branch may not have warmed to the story because it makes them not look great. Do you have any right. thoughts about that idea? I think it's definitely that. I think also people fully, not to sound so arrogant because there's so many things that people didn't get it. And there are a lot of things that I don't get either, but I think there's something that this is very much the queer gaze that we see something and we understand a, a way of telling a story that I think a lot, I've talked to lots of friends who are just like, wait, they were uh, terrible. Or it was supposed to be, it was, people were like, it was silly or like, they just didn't understand that the, what was actually happening there. And a lot of people were like, they didn't ask those people for permission to tell their story. Like people were very upset about that. I'm like, that's the point the movie is making is that there've been um, countless movies made about Mary Kay Letourneau that didn't ask them the story, the point of the story. And you know, I feel like after the TV, and, and I feel like it is a shitty TV movie. And I think that's what people are missing that like, they're just only getting the, the main storyline of this, of this, you know, young boy who was taken advantage of and now is in his thirties and a, and a dad. And it's like, but I think they miss that other layer. Um, and also to your point, my favorite actors are like Julia Moore that are, they're not afraid of looking ugly, but a lot of actors are just do not like that. It's, we love movies that celebrate ourselves. It's, we, right. the movies that are like, the La La Land, the artist, those are the movies that Hollywood loves to get because it's like, isn't Hollywood perfect? Aren't we great? Um, and I think we don't like the ones that are like, oh yeah, we're, we're kind of, yeah, we're, we're kind of not to be trusted. Right. You for know? sure. And I get it when I go on dates and guys are kind of like, are you, do you mean that? Or are you that? I'm like, I think I mean that. I hope I mean that. Oh shit. Do I mean that? Like, we're crazy. Like, I get it. <laughs> the other scene that's super unsettling is when Natalie Portman is looking at audition tapes for the actor that's going to play the 13-year-old boy that she yeah. seduces. And <laughs> she's looking at him like, not hot enough, not hot enough. And it's so awful and problematic, Brutal. and we're all thinking it. We're all looking yeah. at the kids on that tape going, not hot enough, not hot enough. We're all thinking it. Yeah. And I just think this movie's going to live on. It's going to be one of those ones you go back to again and again. So. Wait a minute, I've got to turn off my Bellamy porn right now. Hang on, give me a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was a good one. All right, that was who brought that one up, Drew? I think it might I be did. your turn, Glenn. What do you got? Um, I'm going to talk about The Holdovers. Right on. Um, oh, is this the movie, Drew? This is the movie. Oh, I knew <gasps> oh it. this is the movie. Um, I love it. All right, cool. I'm a big Alexander Payne fan, and so uh, I think this one just – it worked for me on every level. God, I'm going to eat my words. Oh, my God. No, please. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Repeat. Go, go, go. I, no, most people love this. And people are loving this movie. So I'm the weirdo on this one. And this is one of those other things. I've seen this four times. Uh, I uh, just, it, you know, the whole goal of the movie was to make it 
looked like it was made in 1970, not just set it there. And it really pinged all those bells for me with the sort of Cat Stevens-like soundtrack that felt like Harold and Maude. And uh, this discovery in this actor, Dominic Sessa, not been in a film before, who reminded me of like Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate, mm. just like really just knew his character the second it started. Um, and Devon Joy Randolph, who just broke my heart in it. And just the way she sits with her cigarettes was award-worthy for me. For me. And Paul Giamatti, who uh, I just, I, I love him in this film. He's so unlikable and interesting. And yes, it's a Christmas movie. Yes, it's a feel-good film. And it all kind of feels warm and fuzzy, ultimately. Uh, but I thought it had a really sharp, sort of nihilistic script to it. And I'm going to quote a scene, just uh Really quickly. So Paul Giamatti is lording over this class who all want to go home for Christmas vacation and they're impatient. And there's this one kid, Teddy Kuntz, who's like kind of the mean kid in the class. And he's got long 70s hair. And uh, he says to the professor, played by Paul Giamatti, sir, I don't understand. And he goes, that's glaringly apparent. And you sounded just like him just then. (laughs) You really did. Thank you. Uh, No, I can't fail this class. And Giamatti says, Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Koontz. I truly believe that you can. And I just love the wit in that line. And uh, it, it it made me laugh out loud quite a bit. And I'm going to shut up because I'm dying to hear why Drew hated this so much. <laughs> God, Is hate I, a strong word, Drew? What are your thoughts on the holdover? No, hate's an accurate word. I really <laughs> loathe this movie. And I wanted to like it. I love Alexander Payne. And I've loved a lot of his other earlier movies. And I felt like this felt like a fan of Alexander Payne was trying to make it. And I, I also, I have a thing where I'm, I get, I love films in the seventies. I, I love them. Um, but this felt like that too. Like, let's make it like that. So the whole thing felt a little like false to me. And I, um, it reminded me a lot of that. I can never remember the name of this movie with, you'll know what I mean. It's, um, Jack Nicholson and Randy Quaid and detail, the last detail. Thank you. So it reminded me of that. It had that vibe. And I'm like, okay, last detail and five easy pieces. It very much likes to the point of, I think, steals from in the script. And I felt like the whole thing was just treacly. Like I found it like, I found it very like homespun. It just felt really like, I don't know. I just, I also, I, I do think that I think divine joy Randolph gives a great performance in the film. And I think she's going to win the Oscar this year. And I think she is, is great in this film, but I, I really had a problem with Paul Giamatti's performance. I thought he was acting so hard. He was, he has that Richard Dreyfus, like, I'm, 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 I, uh, and it just was, I'm at a point of like, it's my fear as an actor of what I'm like on camera because I do so many like crazy shows in basements and then I, you know, I do crazy <laughs> drag shows and then I have to go on camera and I'm like, am I, please somebody tell me if I'm this crazy broad because I found it so actory and he might win the Oscar because we love to give, awards for most acting and not, you know, it's like, but I found everything him, him doing that, it made him not sympathetic to me. I also, maybe I've had that teacher too many times that I just, I hated that man. I didn't care about anything. I was watching it going, F we all got pain. You know, I was kind of like, I don't care that you have these problems. Like, I just was like, but I, and I thought the baked Alaska scene was a complete ripoff of the chicken salad scene from five easy pieces. And it just, without any of the punch. And I just, you know, um, for people who haven't seen it, it's this very, the writing really jumped out at me as like writing that I just, it was kind of like, I just, I, I couldn't wait for it to be over. It was long and 
it was just like a wool sweater on, on like a hot day. I was like, get this off of me. Get me away from these awful people. <laughs> um, it's funny. I saw it twice. The first time I thought Paul Giamatti was very affected. And then the second time yeah. I watched it, I, I, was, I, I appreciated his performance a lot more. So if he wins, I won't be jumping uh, out of a window. Um, but I think it's like, I don't know. It just gave you the kind of warm and fuzzy Christmas movie feeling for me that kind of where the the character stuff is sort of unfolding over time. And then at the end, it kind of sneaks up on you with this emotional punch and you realize how much you've enjoyed spending time with these people and the way they're connecting. It kind of was one of those movies where at the end you're like, oh my gosh, I find I'm, I'm really moved by, by where this has gone. So, um, and I, I like smaller character driven movies. Um, and you know, I love a seventies font. I love seeing those title sure. cards at the beginning that are like, United Artists, Grainy, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm down for all of that, um, that stuff. So I also like the poster with the Christmas mm. ball opening mm. and like they're all in it. I'm like, well done. Whoever came up with that idea, I support it. So. And I also just enjoyed looking at faces, which is such a rare thing to just look at for a while on film. Some may say an eternity, <laughs> but uh um, I just enjoyed the faces of the three leads and just watching them think or sit in something. Um, and yes, it is written with a capital W. I, I will give you that. But I think it's sharply written. And I think it's a little more, it's not as soft as you would think it is uh, ultimately. I, like, I don't think of this as just a warm, fuzzy Christmas movie. I think this is something about uh, three broken people coming together and that they're not necessarily all sympathetic all the time. Mm. And yet they found this sort of common hurt within each other. You know, they're trauma bonding, right? If to use a popular word now, but uh, um, I connected with it and I cried. Oh yeah. I'm sure I did too. I do think they ripped off broadcast news though. In what um, way? There's a line in it and I won't say when it happens cause I don't want to give too much away, but uh, um a character says to somebody else, uh, I hope you get penis cancer. And uh, there's a line in broadcast news where a person is being fired from the network and they, uh, the head of the network who's firing him says, if there's anything that I could do. And he says, well, I surely hope you die soon. And it felt like a ripoff of that moment to me. So I'll, one for Drew there. There it is. Yeah. All right. I, there was a lot of that. I was kind of going like, because that, that baked Alaska scene, I was like, this is in a very iconic movie from the era that you're referencing from the same time period and i don't know did that bump for you at all like did you i haven't see seen the- i haven't seen the other movie that you're talking about I, five I, easy pieces so jack nicholson I, orders the chicken salad sandwich in this very specific way it's this iconic scene in a diner and it's terrifying and so upsetting because it's about like this person you're like i can see them do anything and then this movie i was like i felt like i was watching that happen all over again to me I guess I gave it a pass because I do see the connection. It's obviously there. But in the scene in The Holdovers, it's really about cheering up a kid who's at his lowest and want to get, you know, want to get some alcohol in him. And yeah. uh, so the, the the intention was different as opposed to Jack Nich- Nicholson, you know, annihilating a right. server. Uh, but yes, it's, I mean, I, I kind of, I bet it was discussed as an homage. Right on. And now it's time to talk about Fast X. Um, that's my choice. I only want to say one thing about Fast X. Do you guys see it? Um, no, but Jason, I love those movies and I will see it. I just missed it when it was out, but I, I've seen, I've seen well over half of them and I love them. 
um, Jason Momoa plays like the villain, but he's doing this weird queer gay fingernail polish uh, character. And I don't know how it happened. How did that happen that he was able to do that? Because it was the funniest part of the movie, but it was clearly like, you know, probably an an unusual choice, um, but it was the best thing. It was the freshest thing in the movie, but he's funny, but he's, maybe he's gay. He's certainly kind of feminine in a way and he's into nail polish and it's like this interesting thing. Like I'm, I want to know what the meetings were like, the deal memos. How did that happen? Was yeah. the director like, Hey, Warner brothers. I haven't even heard about that. I yeah. think we would all know that. And our, I don't know. Glenn, did you see it? I didn't. That's the only oh, okay. movie I haven't seen. It's all about Jason Momoa. He's the freshest thing in the movie, and it's this audacious queer choice. And you're like, how did this happen? Were there, you know, deal memos flying around Universal? Um, so the next time you're on a plane, you know, zoom through. I always, they're always a good time. Yeah. I really enjoy those movies. It's like Final Destination movies and Mission yeah. Impossible movies. I'm like, make it happen. Do yeah. it. Yeah, right on. So that's all I have to say about Fast X. It's Jason Momoa's... Um, interesting choices. Yeah. Uh, you know, Drew, Drew the, the concern that you have that you might be too broad or whatever, not, not a, not a factor in that movie. Oh any, yeah. Fast X, I'd be like, get me, get me back. Yeah. <laughs> um, Glenn, what's another movie you want to talk about? Um, I want to talk about a film that I thought was a shoe in for, uh, international feature that did not get nominated, uh, was Fallen Leaves. Uh, right. I've not. I have not seen it either. I want to see it. Um, Aki Karazmaki, and I might be bungling his name, uh, is clearly a big fan of Jim Jarmusch, uh, who, uh, whose first film, Stranger Than Paradise, is just seminal for me in so many ways. And in being able to take um, very minimal photography, just he, he does the very least he can um, and does a lot of things in single takes, and it's very deadpan. And this is a rom-com that is extremely dry and deadpan from beginning to end with two people that would normally not be the center of a rom-com. It's this, you know, this uh, kind of guy who goes from job to job and he's just downtrodden and he meets this woman who is couldn't be unhappier. And uh, they barely speak in the movie. I mean, there's very little dialogue. And even at one point they go to the movies and they see a Jim Jarmusch movie. So it's, that was the call to him in the film. And it's beautifully shot. It's so colorful for such a drab subject matter of these two people who meet. They, they don't meet cute. They kind of just meet. And uh, then they separate because he loses her number. And I guess he they're, they're, even though it's set in modern times, because you hear radio uh, stories throughout the film about the war in Ukraine, it, this looks like it's set in the 50s and nobody thinks to Google or use a cell phone to try to find each other. Um, and so they, you know, have this long period apart. And it's it's really just a three-structure rom-com that is the driest one I think I've ever seen. And yet it's presented in almost technicolor, beautiful, beautiful photography. Uh, just loved it. It's so short. Too. It's like 80 minutes long. Oh, oh wow. sweet. We love that. Well, I've heard, I've heard only great things. I just, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. it's on my the, list. The league actress was nominated for a Golden Globe, and I was so thrilled that they thought of her for this. It's, it's not a typical nomination that you would think of because it's such a dry performance and one of those where they hold out the emotion until the last second of the film. All mm. right, all right, well done. Drew, what's another movie you want to talk about? 
I'll, I'll piggyback on that and talk about an international film that I thought deserved way more attention, a Japanese film called Monster, that is, I, it blew my brain apart. I, I thought it was, I, I don't even know how much to talk about it because it, it, it has a major uh, twist, uh, quite a few. But I guess the question the entire movie is who or what is the monster? Um, but it's uh, about two young boys and their friendship in school. Um, someone is, you know, these, these children are, are, are dying and what's happening and they're, you know, and it, it, it's visually stunning. Um, the weather is a main storyline. The care I love, there's this really complicated principal character, this woman that you really hate. And then you realize what's actually going on. And I thought it was, it was mind blowing. And I was sobbing at the end and I wasn't expecting to be moved at all. I just, I was, it's presented very much like a, um, a thriller, uh, and through most of it. And then it ends on this, the most like heartbreaking and beautiful moment ever. I, I highly recommend. Have, have other of you seen it? I haven't. I haven't seen it. I've been trying to, and it was like playing at one time a day at uh, one theater in LA and I haven't been able to see it. I've heard it. it's amazing. I mean, unfortunately it wasn't Japan's submission for Oscar. Oh, okay. Okay. Their film that they did submit, which is Vim Vendor's Perfect Days, a German filmmaker who made a Japanese film. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't know that. Cause that was Vim Vendor's. Yeah. That did Perfect yes. Days. But yes. in Japan, so it was there, which yeah. the trailer for that is that looks absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah. Uh, you I know, haven't seen that yet either. So, but I, Monster is like the top of my list. I hear it's incredible. Yeah, it's a lot of people phenomenal. are saying it's like the Japanese uh, Close from last oh, year. Oh, I loved Close from last year. Kind of. Yeah. I would say far superior, but yeah, kind of. And it's kind yeah. of presented Rashomon style, right? You keep circling back to a story from different points of view. Am yes. I correct? Yes. Yeah. So, guys, we teased Barbie earlier in the podcast because it was the one that people were getting all up uptight about. On Twitter, why don't we save that for part two and take a break and we'll come back with part two, which will air a week from now. And people can hear what we think about the movie that everybody's up in arms over on Twitter. Because I I feel like, Drew, you have a twinkle in your eye around it. I don't know if that means you liked it or you hated it. I think you have thoughts. Do you have thoughts? We'll find out. We'll find out. All right. Awesome. I can't can't wait to see how this turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Right? All right. So uh, thank you guys for part one of our movies. We're going to talk about some of the big ones we haven't talked about. Barbie, Oppenheimer, uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance, all the classics. They're all coming up in part two. All right, so that was part one of our year-end movie review with Glenn and Drew. Tune in next week for part two. All right, so this happened. One of the reasons I do this podcast is because I believe that art and creativity make the world go around. If there weren't those things in our lives, music, movies, whatever that is for you, I just don't think it might not be worth it, (laughs) is my point. For some people, it's sports. Other people, it's travel, whatever it is. But I love creative things like movies, television, pop culture, music, art, all of that stuff. So I think that matters. And this past couple of weeks, I got evidence that something that I worked on meant something to somebody that really kind of surprised me. And so I'm going to share it. I'm going to share it. Okay. About 10 years ago, I partnered with two good friends of mine, Glenn Gaylord, who was just on the podcast, and Nadia Ginsberg. And we made a short film called If We Took a Holiday. Um... 
I play a gay guy that got dumped and is really sad. And as a birthday gift to me, my actress friend Nadia pretends to be Madonna all day for her gift to me. And we have an adventure and things go south and it's an odyssey and it's a day in our lives uh, about these friends kind of showing up for each other. And so we played some festivals, uh, got it up on YouTube. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it turned out the way we wanted it to. We're all very proud of it. Um, we've got about 11,000 views on YouTube, but it wasn't like a phenomenon. It didn't, it, you know, nobody got production deals out of it or anything, but we love it and we're proud of it and it exists. And so a few weeks ago, my friend Tom Goss, singer-songwriter who's been on the podcast a number of times, was in Atlanta doing a gig and was at a bar and met a guy named Ricky. And I don't know how it came out, but Ricky realized that Tom knew me and Ricky talked about how much he loved that movie and how he started quoting lines from it, like like when uh, Nadia as Madonna goes up to a parking meter and doesn't know how it works and says, allow me. And she's like, park car for one hour. Like she thinks it's talk. She doesn't know. Anyway, he's quoting lines to Tom of this movie, this short film. And we, um, Tom calls me up and we have a little moment on the phone or a connection like that. And um, I get Ricky's info. And one of the things from the movie that Ricky loves is there's a to-do list of all the things my character wants to do with Madonna. And I wrote it out myself on a yellow pad. And I have to admit, my handwriting is kind of banging. I have to, it's, it's good. It looks good. So I've had it on a locker in my room for ever since then as like a souvenir uh, hanging off a magnet. It's a little weather beaten. And I had just recently started taking all that stuff down and I'm trying to decide how to redo it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send Ricky that to-do list because he loves that to-do list. And so I get his address and, you know, it's, it's been a lovely thing for me in my room, but you know what? It's time to pass the torch. So I decide to send him a, the to-do list and I get his address and, uh, Glenn and I write him a little note and Nadia and I make him a little video when we're doing the mismatch game. And anyway, I'm going to read you a little bit of what Ricky wrote back after he got the to-do list. He's like, I am so very honored, which is very sweet. I'm a Southern gay man that is still a fucked up kid in the back pew of the Sixth Southern Baptist Church. Movies like yours somehow see into my soul and make me feel validated and seen. He, he wants to clarify that he's not literally in the pew. He has left the building. Therapy helps quiet the inner voice that says I'm broken and not worthy. We all sometimes feel that way. But movies like yours show us how we can be there for one another in many ways like a list of to-dos that bring joy. Never forget how the movie shows that, and if I can get it, I know others did and will. Isn't that sweet? Now, I share that story not to point out, you know, how nice we all are, but um, that, that you just don't know when you put something out in the world that it will mean something to people. And that, that movie was sweet and fun, but it wasn't a hammering home message movie. You know, it wasn't one of those PSA movies where you cry or whatever. It was more fun and light and um, we didn't hammer home any big messages but that was what we were hoping to convey and I think it means so much to us that it landed with somebody to the point that they will quote it like that's really cool um, and I think that's part of the reason I do this podcast because I want to celebrate the fact that not a lot of my guests are rich and famous um, sometimes the things they're promoting they do for free or sometimes they have big dreams for them and, you know, the book doesn't 
become a bestseller or whatever it is, but they exist in the world and they mean something to the people that take them into their heart. So that's what I wanted to say. All right. So there's that. You can watch the movie on YouTube. It's got 11,000 views, you guys. Um, it's If we took a holiday and it's fun. All right, that's enough for this week. We have part two of our movie episode. Next week, we get into Barbie and a bunch of other movies. Um, I want to give a shout-out to Oscar Rosario for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.